0: Hi everyone, this is Mark Danzy, your host today for the 419 Disciple Makers podcast. Today's going to be a little different in that I was actually interviewed on another podcast called Deep Dive Spirituality with Dr. Brian Russell. Dr. Russell is the dean of the Orlando Seminary campus, and he's an Old Testament professor, but he's a fellow coach, and we coach together. And so we had a conversation about how coaching and disciple making go hand in hand, so thought we'd play it for you. I hope you enjoy In Matthew 419, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Welcome
1: to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and it's my privilege to have uh, my friend, uh, Reverend Mark Danzi. When I first became interested in coaching, Mark is one of the people that I reached out to for some training. So he coached me for a while and Mark has been coaching professionals and pastors in a variety of different industries for the last 25 years. I've come to know Mark well and he's passionate about his work and he's great at helping executives, directors, managers, and individuals lead, equip, and inspire. He has certifications with the International Coaching Federation as well as he's a certified strength finder coach from Gallup, and he is he is an Enneagram trainer. And uh, I know Mark is just a guy that uh, that loves Jesus and loves extending essentially the mission of the gospel uh, through coaching. And so, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: It's an honor, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: let's just jump right into it. Uh, can you just in a you know a few minutes uh, introduce yourself mm-hmm. to those who may not know you by talking about? your spiritual journey, and what were the key moments that led you initially uh, to ministry? You're an ordained deacon with United Methodist Church, and then also adding coaching and mediation and some of the other exciting things that you do. What what were those some key moments on your spiritual journey?
0: Well, I came to Christ, uh, October 22nd, 1989 at 11 p.m. on the third floor of Athens Regional Medical Center in Athens, Georgia. Um, we, yeah, it was kind of a long traumatic event. Uh, my, uh, my wife at the time, had we'd been married for six days, and um, she was involved in a near-fatal car accident, uh, and not to be overdramatic, but it's just the truth. So she was in a coma for the first two months of our marriage, and I was not a believer. So uh, a lot of details around that story, but basically came to Christ uh, while she was in a coma, and when she woke up, I was a Christian. She had not married a Christian, and started going to church with a drinking buddy from high school who heard about my plight, met me in the hospital, had been a Christian about six months, and invited me to his church. And uh, I thought, you know, I'd given my heart to, to God in the hospital. I went to a Gideon's Bible. Some guy named Gideon had left his Bible in a dresser drawer there, and I started reading it and couldn't understand it, but I felt like it was the right thing I should do. <laughs> and I basically gave God one year of my life, Brian. And I said, Lord, if you know, if this isn't worth it, I'm going to go back to the way I was. And of course, I didn't know 2 Corinthians 5.17 that said, they that are in Christ are a new creation. It wasn't anything to go back to. <laughs> and uh, so God was good and, and started my, uh, my faith journey then just a couple of years later, just felt this incredible tugging to go into ministry. So I was 23 and uh, started pursuing ministries of vocation and uh, a lot of, gosh, I wish we had five hours because there's so many great God stories in how that happened. Um, but basically stumbled into the United Methodist Church uh, through meeting a Methodist pastor, and he asked me to come on staff with him, and I did. And so for the last 28 years, I've been serving in some capacity from youth ministry to discipleship ministry to uh, executive pastor. Uh, I've played about every role you can play uh, in the in the local church. Um, but about, I don't know, about 10 years ago is when I really started focusing on disciple making and how to... Uh, How to Take a Person from Newfound Faith in Christ to Becoming a Disciple-Making Reproducer. And I had done ministry for 15 years. I don't think I discipled one person (laughs) if I did. It was purely by accident. But I just started developing a strategy to do that. And in doing that, uh, in my context uh, as as an associate pastor, I began discipling men in, in small group context and really started unearthing serious life challenges that they were facing uh, and felt ill-equipped. Seminary did not equip me. Uh, it equipped me to preach and do some basic things, but it didn't equip me how to walk a man through addiction or divorce uh, or career changes or just spiritual growth. Um, so I had to find that in the secular world, honestly. And so that's kind of some of the way I came into coaching and addiction tra- uh, counseling and then divorce mediation and domestic mediation while serving as a pastor. Um, that's kind of my rough version of how I got there.
1: Yeah, and, and so, you know, you've, you talk about uh, disciple making and coaching. So and we have a lot of pastors that are listening and uh, there's, uh, there's lay folks who listening as well. But what, what, how do you see coaching serving um, in the life of a church or in the life of an individual Christian?
0: Well, um, so I think I think coaching does a couple of major things. Number one, it meets a person where they are in life or career or, you know, whether you're the CEO of a company. Every, every successful CEO has a coach. Uh, every successful athlete has a coach. We or multiple just can't coaches, figure this right?
1: Stuff out. Yeah, yeah.
0: Multiple, right. We just can't figure this stuff out on our own. So pastors are the worst, in my opinion of feeling like well I have I've been to seminary so I should know how to do all these things and I can't ask for help. <laughs> so what I've seen in coaching is it really meets a person where they are in life love career and then helps them figure out where they want to be vision where they want to go and then build a plan and provide benchmarks and steps and accountability to reach that goal. So in ministry what I've experienced as far as pastors are concerned they only have a couple of goals. Um, and that is, you know, butts in the seat and bucks in the coffer. And, um, <laughs> you know, we the things the conference asks us for, right, to, to put on the form. But some of the things that are not on the form that we feel like we're being accountable for are things like spiritual growth. I mean, how do you measure that? You know, uh, people who are now trained to be disciple makers. I've never seen that on a form for the conference uh, because it doesn't seem to be, you know, what's measured and so of course what's not measured is not managed but i think coaching really provides that place for someone to to learn a new skill set or to learn a new craft um, and to take the talents and strengths that they have and really put it into meaningful transformation versus just kind of kicking the ministry can down the road Uh, that's that's been my uh that's what i think ministry or coaching actually offers to ministry now disciple making uh, you know, we know that Dr. Robert Colden, by the way, wrote a book in 1960 called The Master Plan of Evangelism. You know it well. You know Dr. Colden well. He's been in my house and had dinner, and I felt like I was sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul. I uh, have <laughs> great respect for Dr. Colden. But he basically looked at the eight things that Jesus did in training of those 12. And in training those 12, basically, we can apply those eight principles, too. And it it makes disciple-makers is what it does, Right. And so, but it's really coaching. If you think about it, it's building a strategy and a plan with some accountability, a, de- uh, a desired outcome at the end, and then working toward that goal or that desired outcome. So I see discipleship and coaching very similar.
1: Well, that's that's good. And, and like, can you just give a word of, uh, of testimony? Like I could sit here and say what, uh, how even working with you and you were my coach, um, helped me to become a better coach, and help me to you know, see some blind spots in my life. But yourself, as as a person who coaches, how has coaching impacted you personally? That get that keeps you excited about it.
0: Well, I, thank you, by the way. Working with you was is, was a privilege. Still is a privilege. Now I'm working with you in some other venues too, which is exciting. Uh, I would say this that of the Bible college that I attended, the seminary that I went to, the trauma and addiction counseling training that I got. All of that, nothing transformed my life like coaching. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that when I got into it. I was going to learn how to be a coach. But in order to learn how to be a coach, you have to be coached. (laughs) And since that time, I've always had a coach now, myself, because it literally transformed my life of all the things that I would point back to and say has been the most transforming. It, It actually transformed my ministry, too. Because now what I do is a tremendous amount of coaching. Uh, and I would say 12 years ago, I didn't even know what coaching was. You said you were a coach. I thought you meant like you're a high school volleyball coach or a football coach. I had no idea this world even existed. But what it did for me, a couple of things, was it taught me how to listen. And um, how to instead of showing up with information, how to really listen to a person where they are and what's tripping them up and help them get past those hurdles or those pitfalls that continually keep them... Um, kind of tethered to the ground when they're really meant to, to soar. Uh, I found in coaching that it made me a better listener. Uh, number two was how to ask good questions. Uh, I would say in my marriage counseling work that I've done, i work with a lot of couples, especially couples in crisis. I would teach them that uh, two-thirds of good, communi- good communication is listening. But I think another form of good communication is learning how to ask good questions. And I would say nothing in my life really ever prepared me for that, like coaching did. Now I can't turn the spigot off. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody I meet, I'm asking them, you know, short, profound questions. That, and and you, I hear that a lot because I've been trained to do it. Now people will say to me all the time, "Wow, that's a good question." That to me as a coach is a compliment. That's the greatest compliment because uh, it's in those questions is where I think we find the, the real answers for ourselves. Um, so that that's an uh, interesting fact about that. Jesus who. Of course, the ultimate coach, greatest coach that's ever lived, right? Uh, I saw some stats last week. A friend of mine named Adam Bordeman shared with me that Jesus asked in the Gospels 307 questions. Uh, He was asked 183 questions, and he directly answered three to eight, depending on which theologian you you follow, which tells us that the man knew how to ask good questions, and he did a lot. So coaching is Christlike, in my opinion.
1: What, what are just the, this, I didn't, I I always try to give everybody my questions in advance. You have time to think about, so this one's coming out of the blue off of what you just said. Um, What are some of your Uh, favorite questions that you ask, uh, say a client or say somebody that you're trying to disciple that you found to be really powerful over the years? Do you have like two or three like go-to questions that you know are going to elicit uh, a a good place to, to, to begin?
0: Yeah, I um, definitely, um, of course, The number one question I like to ask, and this is a coaching question I've heard many coaches ask prior. So by the way, any question I give you now, I didn't invent it. I just heard it. (laughs) I don't have an original thought. (laughs) So if I don't give proper credit to where it came from, Lord, forgive me. Um, But one powerful question I like to ask is, um, um, what's the greatest problem you're facing in life and how can I help you solve it? I think that's a great question to ask. Um Another one that you and I uh, use a lot too is you know, three years from now, looking back, what will have had to change to make the biggest impact in your life? Another great one. Um, another great one is what would your eighty year old self tell you to do in this situation? because usually our eighty year old self would be a lot wiser than our current self, right? And so we can kind of tap into that. Um, another sifting or defining question is, you know what do you really want?
1: That's hard to answer, isn't it? That's for a lot of people.
0: It is, especially when you say really. Right? Really? What do you really want? So, the best questions are short and powerful. They're less than eight words. Uh, if, your question, if you have to qualify your question, you've lost it. Short, powerful questions. Jesus asked that when the rich, round ruler came up, right? Why do you call me good? Amazing question. Uh, so, I think short, powerful ones. Um, another one is to ask the question why six times in a row. So when somebody says, I don't really like my job. Why? And now you do sound like a toddler and it it can be annoying (laughs) because I don't, the people I work with, well, why? Well, because this one guy just is rude all the time. Why? Well, because his wife's been, you know, you can just go down that trail and then people begin to realize that there's a lot of reasons that are stacking up that can be solved or the proper perspective uh, could be changed. Another question is, you know, What's another way to look at this issue? Um, We know that in every crisis or challenge that there is filled with opportunity. So a question would be, what would be, so maybe this is a bad scenario that's happened. Well, what's one opportunity in this for you? You know, even if it's to learn patience, Well, that's an opportunity, right? So those are just a few.
1: That was good. Uh, That was good, Mark. And uh, I was just thinking that... um, when you you know when you say that, in a sense, what we're trying to do with the questions is we're just trying to give let let a person that we're speaking with. It's like in a sense, as a coach, we do care what the answer is, but we're helping the person to actually draw something out of themselves to get that really moment of insight. Um, you know, it'd be fun to play around with the question. What do you really want? I, I found you know it seemed, you know you ask. It seems like sometimes us and the we who are in the church and maybe even pastors, we struggle. Uh, to answer the question, what do you really want? Because it always seems like it comes into conflict perhaps with what our, what we think Jesus might want. And so do you find that to be a common issue with the pastors that you work with that it's usually we'd rather have somebody else, like we, we might complain about the job description that we have, but when you ask, well, what do you really want? Uh, then well, I don't know what I really want. What's my job description? You kind of, so you find people bouncing around with that. Have you found that to be true with, um, with sometimes persons with deep faith that they're, they sometimes are afraid to express who they really are, what they really want?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, past, you know, my personal experience with that is as, as a pastor for 28 years, I projected what I thought a pastor should look like, talk like, sound like, and what I thought the church wanted me to be yeah. versus who I was really created to be. And so you talked about the Enneagram earlier. That was one uh, life-changing um, experience for me. And our, our healing worship leader at the church told me about it. I'd never heard the word. I always t- heard if you read five books on any subject, you become an expert. So I read five books on the Enneagram. I didn't, I didn't know jack about it even after that. So I went through a training and, and understood it. But what I understood from that was that the church tries to turn everybody into a two. <laughs> uh, it doesn't know what to do with a seven. You know, a two is a loving helper, serving. And so everybody should be that. But if your personality is more joy and adventure, what do you do with that? And that's me. I'm a seven, which is all about joy, adventure, um, spontaneity, new things, encouragement. And what I saw in the church were people that got promoted in ministry were people who were twos and threes, like you. Uh, People who were effective and efficient and Got all the details done right and on time. And I just watched, and of course, I didn't know anything about the Enneagram, but I watched these people getting promoted and applauded. And then people who were creative and adventurous, they kind of got made fun of unknowingly. So I became a carbon copy of what I thought a successful pastor was supposed to look like and be like. -hmm. And was not true to who God created me to be, my unique abilities. So, through the coaching and these different assessments that I started applying, strengths finders for one, I started realizing, wow, God has uniquely and wonderfully made me. And the best thing I could do for the rest of my life is live into that, not some cookie cutter prescription of what I think a pastor should look like. And it's kind of funny when you get into Christian circles too. And I don't want anybody to be offended by this, but you got to admit it's true. You get a bunch of large church pastors together they have a kind of a look and a talk about them, you know you can almost spot them you get some millennial worship leaders together and you can spot them right the way they dress the way they talk the way they sit what they're drinking <laughs> get seminary professors together i mean you can spot them we just kind of be careful Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so just think about that for a second And what we don't do is we kind of self-categorize what we should look, think, feel, and act versus being true to the unique ability that God has created us. Yeah, that's good. That's what I love about coaching is strip that junk away and figure out who God has created you to be and live into that fully. I speak of that with excitement. I know I sound a little zealous on that, but it's because I finally got to do ministry in my own skin after a couple of decades. Um, if you'd have said to me 10 years ago, what do you really want? You would have heard crickets. <laughs> I didn't know. Cause I didn't know who I was.
1: You know, that's so good. And I, I really, I really liked how you, you went with that answer in a sense. Um, some level of coachings about freedom. And when we talk about the gospel, you can even think about the Exodus story. And again, I'm not gonna make this about me, but you know, one of the things I always say in Exodus, a lot of times we just focus on what's Exodus. Oh, that's when God got the people out of Israel. Well, that's the first, um, 15 chapters. Um, Exodus 16 to 40 is, okay, what now? So it's not just freedom from something, it's freedom f- for something. And I think a lot of times mm. when we, the very thing that you're talking about, not knowing what we want is um, we've lost a sense of um, freedom for, I mean, even the questions you listed, you're trying to elicit like, what would an 80 year old version tell me to do? And it's always trying to, to to grasp around how do you live or three years from now, all those questions, it's, it's trying to ex- be more expansive essentially to help, ironically, especially since the gospel is supposed to be liberating, oftentimes Mm -hmm. it becomes constricting and it becomes a burden instead of a joy and a sense of fulfillment. But, you know, coaching in a sense is to try to help Persons to, to allow themselves to be liberated by God to, to truly live and become and breathe and walk as the person that God uh, created us to be. So, you know, you, you hit on identity. Uh, what are some other, you know, just talking to pastors now? And by when we talk pastors, if, if you're a lay person, you know, I don't want you to go to church and think that, look at your pastor and, and just think, oh, geez, I heard Brian and Mark say all this stuff and start being skeptical. But, you know, but if we're talking to pastors, what are some common things? that you find that, um, spiritual leaders, um, pastors struggle with that coaching can help them overcome?
0: Uh, well, the first one that comes to the top of my head is, is a quote from Paul Tripp who said that the best definition he knows of a pastor is a quivering mass of availability. <laughs> <laughs> and God, that, that hits me right between the eyes when I think about yeah. my life and trying to raise a family and, trying to say yes to everybody that ever asked me to do anything for them because I thought that's what it meant to be a successful pastor. So coaching helps you really define not only who you are, but also the what are the most effective roles I can play? How do I say no to things yeah. in my life? Because uh, I forget the, uh, the philosopher that said that, that knowledge is adding something every day and wisdom is subtracting something every day. Well, pastors, after a period of time, become quivering masses of availability who have added so many things to their life. They're the most overworked, overrun, overused uh, leaders in in our culture. And so they don't know how to unwind. They don't know how to discover who they really are, what they really want. Uh, And it's because we've overcommitted. And so um, I think one of the things that coaching can do for pastors is help them to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Kind of crafting that rule of life that I, that I know you're so well versed in is how do you set those boundaries in your own personal life? Because pastors don't know how to Sabbath. Pastors, they don't know how. They want to, and but they, but they just don't feel like they have the ability to. Sorry, (laughs) I got a I got a text coming in there. My apologies. Um, See, I'm overcommitted. Even texting while I'm trying to do an interview on overcommitment. So I think that's one thing is helping coaching sets boundaries. Number two, coaching helps reveal who you really, really have been created to be. Uh, There's just not a course you can take or a Bible study that you can take that really defines that. I think you have to do it through individual coaching. And then, what are your unique abilities and your talents, and how can you turn those? talents into strengths. So one of the things I do in finders is we think that if you get your top five listed, well, these are my top five strengths. No, they are your top five talents. Mm. So a talent developed becomes a strength. So what coaching does is develop or exposes what are the unique talents you have as an individual, a leader, a pastor, whatever. And then how do you now work on developing that talent so that it truly becomes a strength. There's a lot of pastors out there that think they have the talent of preaching, and so they think that's enough. Yeah. Well, if you develop that talent, it will be a strength. But if you just ride on it as a talent, you'll never be at the top of your game. So that's kind of a few things that that I think coaching does specifically for pastors.
1: That's yeah, good. and And I know that a part of your coaching ministry— and you you gave me you gave me just a little bit of training in this, but um, you you do you've got some certification and some training in working with um, with addictions, and and you found that um, mm-hmm. addiction isn't just something that takes place outside the church. You actually have addiction sometimes takes place in the, in the church. Um, what role can coaching play in a and for a pastor? Um, and you know when we're talking about addictions, oftentimes and, and again we're not trying to. Uh, paint this across the board uh, with people but a lot of there's a lot of Christians that struggle with um, um, the opioid crisis obvious piece but then probably more commonly just alcohol and uh, a lot of times um, pornography and so um, and, and mm-hmm. people that are deeply spiritual can struggle with these types of things too what, what, have, what have you found as an approach as a coach and again I know this is a big topic but what role does coaching have in helping a person who is struggling with um, various levels of addiction?
0: Good question. Um, I would say that counseling. There, there's a distinct difference in coaching, consulting, and counseling.
1: That's yeah, important,
0: isn't it? I didn't know those differences. I thought it was all kind of the same thing. So, counseling really spends a, a an amount of time looking back at the reasons for this addictive behavior. So, Paul called them flesh patterns. Uh, anything a cope a coping mechanism. In other words, if we're dealing with anxiety in our life, thank goodness pastors don't have to deal with anxiety. <laughs> And we we develop coping mechanisms for dealing with that addiction. Well then the coping mechanism can turn into what we call a flesh pattern or addiction. Okay. And so what happens is is that someone becomes addicted, having never setting out to ever dreaming that would happen, right? So counseling really looks back a lot at how this developed and then some some steps forward. Coaching actually focuses more on the future than on the past. You want to do a little bit of that rear view mirror time, but it's mostly windshield time. And so with coaching, you know, asking good questions, um, uh, setting uh, benchmarks for people, you know, just having real honest conversations. There's no judgment in coaching. You leave judgment at the door. Uh, It really helps a person envision what would a life of sobriety look like, feel like, what would the benefits be? What is this currently costing you? What are the risks and the dangers that that will accompany you if if you continue in this behavior? And so I use kind of a mixture of coaching and counseling uh, work when I work with people who struggle with addiction. One thing exclusive though um, to addiction is almost every case of addiction I work with, whether it's sexual addiction or alcoholism or gambling addiction, or uh, now we're seeing gaming addiction. You know, some people scoff at that, but you know, tell the young couple I'm working with who've been married for three years and he can't hold a job because he's playing video games eight hours a day. It's a real issue for them. Mm-hmm. And he can't stop without some help. Um, well, one of the things that we do is, is look at the addiction cycle and how it is the brain works and what it is that what trauma is tied to this addiction. So one of the exclusive things about addiction is most people who are struggling have had some past trauma that has either created or perpetuated this addiction. And so really kind of unearthing that and dealing with that to move forward, coaching them is really important. So it's, it's almost now, you know, some people, I used to look at people who struggle with addiction and say, well, just quit, get over it. What are you doing? What are you thinking? You know, Not realizing the trauma in most people's lives that led to that flesh pattern. So it actually creates empathy. When we start recognizing that the current destructive behavior a person is dealing with developed as them trying to get some relief from some other pain in their life. So I would say that through the addiction work, the trauma work, uh, and I work with a lot of pastors who struggle with sexual addiction. Um, Of course it's confidential. So I'll never share a word of that. Um, uh, But I see some trends with people. Um, And I've got one, uh, one of the common stories I've heard, which is unbelievable is a pastor never had looked at pornography before until they went to a conference, who talked about the dangers of pornography, and got triggered by it, and began looking at pornography—the <laughs> very thing. <laughs> so it's subtle. Yeah. But but that's um, you know I guess I guess one of the things that, that makes my coaching so uh, enjoyable and, and life giving for me and and for those that I coach is is the empathy that is brought um, because of of past trauma. So trauma and addiction therapy really go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, and that's a, an important insight. Obviously, we can go a lot deeper uh, in that. I, I literally just finished a book um, over the weekend called "The Body Keeps the Score," that was essentially a book yeah. about trauma, and then how oftentimes it manifests not just in addictions, but in all kinds of pieces that sometimes get misdiagnosed, and we end up treating kind of the surfacing issues and not trying to heal the deep inner core. And you know, and that's one of the things that you know I love about the gospel is um, you know we have tools and we can do counseling, we can do coaching. But the wonderful thing is, um, these are tools that maybe make it a little easier for the spirit to do the real work of transformation and healing. And that's um, one of the beautiful uh, pieces. And you've touched on this a little bit. Um, Talk a little bit about maybe a little bit more about the relationship between deep spiritual formation and how coaching can facilitate that in somebody's life. Like if a person's like, I've been a Christian for a long time, or they're just stuck, how can coaching really help open a person up to deeper levels of spiritual formation? Or even the, the phrase that I like to use in, in, in this podcast is, um, as Methodist, entire sanctification, we're talking about holiness, becoming the person that God created us to be. What, what role does coaching play in that, Mark?
0: Well, my, my mentor, one of my mentors, John Musselman, shares this analogy of the higher the skyscraper is going to be built, the deeper the foundation has to be. That's good. If you're going to build a one-story building, you don't need that deep of a foundation. If you're going to build a hundred-story building, you need a very deep foundation. And so for the person I think that wants to be really successful in life and successful in ministry and accomplished and, and just productive, really productive... You got to have a firm foundation to be able to grow that high. And uh, so spiritual formation happens when the individual decides that, you know, spiritual growth is a lifetime exercise. And and this is not something most pastors, Brian, as you know, uh, stats say, and of course, Barna depresses us with all this stuff, but <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> love you, Barna, but, um, he says that the average pastor spends about five minutes a day in spiritual formation. Yeah. And then the rest of the time as that quivering mass of availability, trying to get the punch list done, right? So coaching and holding people uh, accountable for developing their own personal worship. So one of the things we teach in disciple making is what this personal worship really looks like. And the pastor that's doing personal worship, we know what corporate worship is, but what is that worship of God that happens when you're by yourself for 30 minutes a day? Just you and the Lord. And what is it you do? And how can you share what you do with other people that don't know how to do that so that they can then have rich lives of spiritual formation? So in coaching, one of the things that we do is is help develop a plan of spiritual formation. There's not one way to do it, right? And so what works for you? You know, if you've got a very short attention span versus someone who's a lot more studious and focused, you can't do the same exact thing. So what would really work For you. And so coaching, we help people discover, okay, this didn't work. Let's try something new. You know, a rule of life, crafting that, being setting some three spiritual goals for the next 90 days, um, setting that time apart. All these things coaching provides for that person so that they come out of that time of personal worship and say, Wow, that was really meaningful. I want to do that again tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Christians think do personal worship or quiet time or devotional because they feel like they're supposed to not because they want to. Coaching helps you realize the great benefit of this so that you look forward to that time with the Lord. One of the things we know is the Lord looks forward to time with us. The question is, do we look forward to time with the Lord? Well, if we're not getting a lot of meaning out of it, then we probably don't. Uh, and so some of that is people haven't been trained. Like your book on centering prayer. Um, you know, How do you do centering prayer? Well, you got to be coached. You got to be trained how to do it, demonstrated how to do that. Or else you'll never know <laughs> I call that I call that coaching spiritual formation, another real key element though to this I think it's overlooked a lot is vulnerability yes um, one reason a pastor will never get coached uh, or never attain uh, to a potential is because they're not vulnerable enough they don't feel like they can be vulnerable enough, and so coaching. Uh, provides the ability to just really share uh, what your struggles are, what's keeping you stuck so that we can develop a plan forward. Um, And so I think coaching and spiritual formation thrives when there's a level of trust and vulnerability. Um, So pastors don't really want to go to counselors. I mean, you get 10 pastors together in a room and you say, how many of you are in regular counseling or therapy? You know, if they are, they might not admit it. Um, but coaching tends to, I I say it this way, it's not therapy, but it's therapeutic. And one of the ways it's therapeutic is through offering a a place for a pastor to be vulnerable Yes. so that they can grow forward. If you're not vulnerable, you're not going to grow. And, you know, Brene Brown says that vulnerability is the ultimate sign of courage. Let me explain that. Anytime we hear somebody on a platform being vulnerable, we always look at them and say, wow, that took a lot of courage to say that. But when we're being vulnerable behind the pulpit, we always feel like it's a symbol of weakness. <laughs> now, isn't it funny that when we see that in others, we admire it as courageous quality, but when we're doing it, we feel like, you know, we're, uh, we're being weak. So it's, it's not. So if one of the things coaching does is helps you realize that, you know, vulnerability is, is the ultimate sign of courage. You can't get more vulnerable than hanging on a cross, naked before your mother. And nobody looks at Jesus nailed to a cross as weak, brother. That's courage. Awful. That's strength. Yeah, that's strength. So I would say to you, pastors out there that don't feel like you can be vulnerable, man, you got to get over that. That's you've created your own glass ceiling with that junk because your congregation needs you to be more vulnerable. Now don't send me emails about that. Just. Just take it for what it's worth, but find you a coach Call Brian, call me and uh, let's let us help you with that.
1: Yeah. And, and at the, at the end of the, if you listen all the way to the end, I'm, I'm going to put a little piece in Mark and I do have a group coaching program. that's designed for pastors that we've been working on uh, for a good chunk of 2020 that we'd be grateful to, uh, if any of if, if any persons are actually interested in a group program, but Mark, um, this is an interview with you. So uh, I have a couple of final questions. Like, so if somebody would want to work with you, uh, or knows even the, somebody in the church that uh, maybe a business owner that could really use a, a, a good Christian coach or it's a pastor. What are the best ways for folks to find out more about you all? And I'll put all these in the notes, but how, how can people connect with you and uh, what, what you offer on a, on a one-on-one
0: basis? Well, thank you, Brian. Uh, my website is wisepathcoach.com and uh, W-I-S-E-P-A-T-H, wisepathcoach.com. And this is where most of my secular coaching, leadership coaching uh, that I do, I work with CEOs and folks who are making career changes, um, those types of things, just life relationships, midlife crisis stuff, whatever, just help you figure out how to take that next step. Because here's the deal. What got you to where you are won't get you to where you want to go. You've got to develop some new skill sets and some new uh, new awarenesses. That's, that's the one way, wisepathcoach.com. Another one, ministry that I do is uh, specifically around disciple making and helping pastors turn their churches into disciple making, changing the culture of their organization to focus on disciple making. And that's, uh, I'm the executive director of Narrowgate Equipping for Life. And so that website is narrogateefl.com. And there's a crazy amount of free resources on there, teachings, videos, white papers, uh, for pastors who may feel like, you know, we've done a great job of getting people into the building uh, or online now with COVID, right? Um, and connected to our church and maybe serving, but they're not turning into disciple makers. And so this organization, Narrowgate, really focuses on how to, how to do that. So we call it Narrowgate Equipping for Life. Uh, and we do three things. We disciple, mentor, and coach. Uh, and so that's more on the ministry side of things. So those would be two great. And I would love to just have a, have a conversation with anybody that uh, wants to explore those as well. But I do say that the group, the most economical way is through uh, the group that you and I offer. Uh, you can't get uh, any more economical than that one. <laughs> we, basically, it's a service um, that we provide for pastors who've been struggling through COVID and what, how to reinvent what they've been doing uh, and what they want to do, because we were thrown a massive curveball. The ministry the church world was thrown a massive curveball in march um and so you know what we what many pastors feared was going to be happening in decline over the last next five years we've seen in five months you know pastors not knowing how to shepherd their congregation when they can't get them in in the building you know so we you and what well, you and i are doing trying to help pastors figure that out but also it's, it's just life-giving uh because we're doing some soul tending there too so uh, these are three great ways um, I think to get to get some real help, and move forward.
1: And just a, a quick final question for you: What are two or three resources or or books um, outside of Scripture that you found uh, profoundly um, helpful that have shaped you deeply in your own life?
0: Mm, great question. Uh, from a ministry perspective, it would probably be Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Robert Coleman because we—it's literally an exposé of what what were the eight things Jesus did in training those twelve that made that that are applicable today. That's that's a huge one. Uh, another book that I'm really, really, really fond of is a uh, is a book by Richard Rohr called Breathing Underwater. It's a good book. It it's an excellent book because it's it looks at Spirituality and the Twelve Steps. He basically summarizes that the Twelve Steps for Recovery came out of the Gospels, <laughs> and you can see scripture, scripture all over it. That would be um, that would be a book there. And then, um, uh, as far as just uh, me, that, so I would say that's a ministry book. Um, one of them is uh, is a coaching book. Another one is a book called, by uh, Shirzad Sharmin called Positive Intelligence. And it looks at the self-sabotaging dialogue that we share. I use this with all my clients, by the way. It looks at the self-sabotaging dialogue that we live in daily that keeps us grounded. Uh, and I mean grounded in a negative form. Like if you're, a, if, you're, if you're meant to fly, you don't want to be grounded, right? And so um, it looks at how do we uh, look at our life and perspective and situations in a way that moves us forward versus keep, keeps us hold, held back. And so uh, of the 50,000 conversations the average human has in a day, uh, most of them are with ourself. And a lot of them are very negative. And that just doesn't propel somebody into courageous leadership. So that would be another, uh, it's a very secular book, comes out of um, a lot of work at Stanford. If you go through the MBA program at Stanford, you're probably going to be introduced to that resource. And then of course, anything around the Enneagram as well. I think the Enneagram is a very insightful tool. So there's four books. How about that for your achieving fa- answer?
1: Well, no, that's perfect. <laughs> and, and being a three, I have to press one more just to be a little bit more deep on the Enneagram. <laughs> so if you're just going to pick one book, I mean, there's so many books. So if somebody goes on Amazon, there's going to be an array. What's your favorite book if somebody's not just for the kind of a first time introduction to the Enneagram?
0: Uh, well, Claire and Scott Lockridge out of Marshall, Michigan is the training organization I went through for the Enneagram and they look at the harmony triad version of that. Let me grab the title real quick. It's right here. Uh, the title is spiritual rhythms of the Enneagram. Okay. And it's a book, but it's slash workbook. Gotcha. So it's, uh, of, of the seven or eight Enneagram books I have, uh, that one's probably the one I go to the most with clients. Okay. Um, I I think it's there there's a lot of Richard Rohr's A Christ, Enneagram of Christian Enneagram, a Christian Perspective is is a deeper textbook on it. But I don't recommend that one a lot to people because I'm afraid they won't read it. You got yeah. it. Look at there.
1: Yeah, it is on the YouTube. For those of you watching on the video, there it is. It is a little hard to read, but it's it's a very good book. There's so many good uh, books. Uh, well, this has been a wonderful, Mark. And I just want to thank you um, again. You know, it was funny we connected through a former Asbury student. I was talking about becoming a coach, and the guy "You got to talk to Mark Danzi." I'm like, "Who's Mark Danzi?" And you know, we became friends, and then I immediately hired you to become my coach. And Now we're working together. And again, if you just uh, stay tuned, Mark and I will talk a little bit more about um, the program that we offer if you're interested in some group coaching. But Mark, it's just been an absolute privilege to get to know you. I'm grateful for your ministry. Um, I'm grateful for, for, for the skin in the game that you put into all these things, even in your entrepreneurial spirit and your genuine desire to help people and, um, you know, bring a sense of uh, humor to everything too, because I, I tend to be pretty serious. So it's kind of like, well, you're the good cop, I'm the bad cop, or however you want to think about that. But it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's been a real pleasure to know you. And thank you so much for being my guest today.
0: Well, I would say you're more John Wesley, I'm more Charles Wesley. How about that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather be the bad cop than John Wesley. He was a little dour, I think. No, but I, no, I don't know if I can say that. That's, that's a good joke, though. So that's good. Both. Well, anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening today. And uh, until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others. Amen. Hey, before you go, Mark and I have a exciting opportunity that we want to tell you about. We've partnered together to create a program just for pastors. And I know that most of you are either pastors or know a pastor. So have them check out group coaching for pastors. And Mark, why would a group coaching program be helpful for a pastor?
0: Well, you know as well as I do, from being coached and being uh, having a coach yourself, that the the challenges that we face in leadership and in ministry can't be all figured out just between your ears. You've got to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. You've got to have somebody to process uh, questions and and some best practices around. And so, you know, every successful CEO has a coach. They know the power of it. But oftentimes, for pastors, they don't see the need in it. So, what we know. Is that coaching can actually uh, cause you to discover your highest values, and then how you live in them in your own leadership or the organization that you're that you're leading, uh, and also not only elevates your game uh, but gives you the ability to invest in your team uh, long term and elevate their game too.
1: Yeah, and we've been working with a group of pastors. We started really during the COVID-19 quarantine, which in some ways we're still kind of in that phase. But it's gone so well that we want to allow even more pastors to have the benefits of this. And so check out groupcoachingforpastors.com. And here's some of the promises that we make that we can deliver for you, because this is all about growing helping you to grow even deeper spiritually and helping you to become even more effective as a leader in the local church for God's mission. And uh, and Mark, do you want to tell them about some of the things that we're promising? What are some of the results that folks are going to experience personally?
0: Well, yeah, one uh, is beginning to eliminate the false beliefs that sabotage us. (laughs) You know, some of the experts say we we have about 50,000 conversations a day, many of them in our own head. And oftentimes, they are the very things that sabotage our ability to lead others. And so pastors are not exempt from that. That's definitely one thing that they'll get. Uh, Also, we work on crafting a rhythm of life that aligns with your unique personality. Uh, Personality, we believe, comes from God. And how is it that God has crafted us uh, not to be like the pastor down the street or the pastor on the other side uh, of the country, but in our unique ability, how can we live into that? Uh, one of the biggest things that we hear, you know, Brian, is getting control of your time. Uh, It's the only commodity we have. We don't know how much we have. And so pastors um, typically are running to and fro, trying to get everything done. And working with a coach allows you to gain control of your time, which actually leads to gaining control of of your sanity too. (laughs) Uh, Leading others more effectively. Um, You know, like we said earlier, when you elevate your gain in leadership, it elevates everyone around you. And leadership. Uh, and then just deeper levels of spiritual formation. Uh, pastors get so engaged with preaching sermons and figuring out how to do church now in the new normal, uh, and then hiring staff or firing staff. And we forget that uh, most of what we are delivering to our congregation comes from the deep well of our own spirituality. And so we want to make sure that, that there's some soul tending. Uh, that takes place in this coaching. And this is what we hear from the folks that we've been coaching. Uh, Oftentimes, it means so much to them.
1: Yeah, so check out groupcoachingforpastors.com. And Mark and I, we bring a lot of experience to the table from, I'm a seminary professor, and I've been coaching for uh, a number of years. I've been pastoral ministry. Mark's been long-term pastoral ministry, as well as being a coach and a mediator. So we're going to bring all the best of our own stuff we merge it together as a team to deliver for you an exceptional value. So we hope to hear from you. So sign up at groupcoachingforpastors.com group and we'll take your email and we'll invite you to a powerful group coaching session where you can get a taste of what we can deliver for you. And then if you want to go forward, we'll give you that opportunity. So uh, thank you so much. And do you want to have, do you have a final word, Mark?
0: Yeah, the, the uh, initial group coaching session is free. So we oh, literally have nothing to lose. We'd right. love to meet you.
1: Group coaching for pastors.com and we look forward to working with you to help you to achieve uh, the mission that God's calling you to and do it while flourishing in your life also
0: for more information check out our website 419 disciplemakers.org.